Total Skin Nerds is brought to you by SkinFix. We're clean, clinically active, and on a mission to deliver healthy skin. Welcome to Total Skin Nerds. I'm Amy Gordonier, founder of SkinFix. Total Skin Nerds is where I get to nerd out with some of the world's foremost experts in skin. We deep dive into issues related to skin disease, skincare ingredients, diet and lifestyle modifications to support skin health, and even spiritual practices and their skin benefits. Today in season two, episode three, I'm chatting with two true skincare gurus, Gloria Liu and Victoria Fu, the founders of the popular skincare science blog and podcast, Chemist Confessions. After earning chemical engineering degrees, both women landed jobs working together as cosmetic chemists at L'Oreal. Gloria and Victoria became fast friends with more than a few shared passions. They loved chemistry and loved formulating beauty products, but what they didn't love was the lack of transparency and education surrounding formulations, ingredients, and how they interact with the skin. They created Chemist Confessions with a mission to empower consumers with approachable science education, unsure whether anyone would be interested in the perspective of a pair of chemists. The blog took off and is today a go-to resource for information on skincare formulation, ingredients, and the skin. They followed up with the Chemist Confessions podcast, one of my absolute favorites, and they also have published a book called Skincare Decoded, which lives on my desk and is an easy and digestible reference for skincare science and information. With their unique insights, I thought it would be fascinating to tap what they know about the treatment of acne, one of the most vexing skin concerns and one we all can relate to. I think we'll learn a lot about the evolving science of acne, what we think we know, and what we've gotten wrong. Stay tuned, skin nerds. Trust me, you're gonna learn a lot from them. I sure have. Victoria and Gloria, so happy to have you on Total Skin Nerds. You guys are my absolute favorite podcast. Your content in beauty, I think, is some of the best of all beauty content out there. So really grateful that you're joining me on this Friday afternoon on Total Skin Nerds. Oh, thanks, thanks for, for having us. That was an awesome intro. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just want to replay that to ourselves every day. I'm going to say it's a nicer <laughs> intro than we, than we give ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can brag on you. And I also want to say to all of our listeners that you guys have to listen to their podcast, Chemist Confessions. If you care at all about skincare, which you obviously do if you're listening to Total Skin Nerds, these guys are the pros. And they go topic by topic and they go deep. They did a two-part series on acne that I listened to multiple times. Uh, we're in the process of launching an acne line at SkinFix, and it really helped to inform how we positioned it, how we thought about it. I listen and I learn a lot from you guys, and it informs how we formulate at SkinFix. Skincare Decoded is their book. It's the Bible. I have it here full of marked pages. So tell us, first of all, before we dive into acne, I love the story about how you guys both did chemical engineering and then ended up at L'Oreal. So tell us a little bit about the story and then how did Chemist Confessions come to be? Yeah, um, I'll go first. I studied chemical engineering. She's Gloria, by the oh, way. Oh, I'm Gloria, guys. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, and and I apologize. I lost my voice during the holiday season, and with everything that's going on, it just doesn't seem like it's gonna heal for a little bit. So, be a little bit hoarse during this recording. But um, yeah, I study chemical engineering school. Had nothing to do with personal care formulation. Um, at the time, education. Uh, my education was geared towards like working in oil refineries. I also did. Uh, um, I did a, a little concentrated course on sustainable energies, thinking that you know what, I don't want to do oil refinery work. I want to go the other route, do clean energy. All fine and dandy, could not find a job <laughs> on graduation. It was just like a bad time with the for that kind of market. So I actually landed、uh, an internship at L'Oreal, luckily. And at the time, I didn't even. Because my education wasn't geared towards formulation and any sort of、um, personal care CPG production science, so I was surprised that、um, I got the offer. But it was awesome. I went there and we formulated lipsticks for a summer. Or I formulated lipsticks for a summer. And after that, I'm like, I have to do this. I have to turn this into a career. So that's kind of how I、um, found my way to the beauty world. So what did they ask you at L'Oreal then? I mean, what were they looking for? Given that you had no formulating experience, were they just looking for your kind of your chemical engineering background, and they figured they could teach you how to do、yeah. lipstick? Yeah, kind of. the The first foot in the door is the right majors, and they kind of assume that, like you know, like you learn problem solving skills, a base, a good foundation of science. They did expect that most of their um <clears throat> most people will come in and learn on the job. They just want to know that you could learn on the job. And something that I find that um was very interesting was during my interview process, they asked a lot about like products I use, products I wish I see on the market because. We are in a field. Sometimes we complain about it, but it's also the reality of it. Is this field is very marketing driven? So even for their scientists and researchers, they really wanted someone that has an awareness to what's out there as well. Yeah. So Victoria, how did you end up through、yeah. chemical engineering into L'Oreal? Was it a similar path or similar path? Because it was also chemical engineering. I was probably even more lost than Gloria in a way because I, <laughs> not, I didn't. Yeah, I did not want to go down oil refinery. I was like looking at all these like. Big distillation columns. I'm like, I don't know. This is for me, or how am I going to apply this?、So、oh no, it's junior year. I don't want to do this. <laughs> yeah,、so. I need a job. What am I going to do? Exactly. But、um, I was really lucky in that I found a professor I really enjoyed, and I was really interested in the work he was doing.、Um, and his work was in like nano encapsulation, so I thought that was fascinating. The course was awesome, and. It turned out that his lab was doing work in acne, which is something that I have like a lot of personal feels and experiences with. So I was like, "This is awesome! It's、um, something that is in my realm、um, that I was curious about." And then on a topic that I felt like I could apply the knowledge、mm. to, I think I really needed like the application of it to really just bring all of what I was learning、um, home. Because I think sometimes when I sat in class, I just felt like I'm like, I don't. Have a passion about this, so I was had that experience and realized I just really enjoyed the research. I ended up extending out my education and finished a master's in nano engineering, continuing the research, and then decided, okay, it's time I get a job. And it was not looking too good because I was headed on a pharma track, and again, same questions of. I don't know if I'm really gonna like this. The project timelines are long. It's a lot of pressure.、Um, just honestly, a real just high stress job. And I was thinking, like, you know, at the end of the day, what would be 
I just wanted fun, honestly. Mm -hmm. Like I wanted a career path. If I was going to dedicate many decades of my life to working, like please let it, at least let it be fun. And so um, I just blindly applied to a bunch of cosmetic companies, all sorts. And then luckily got an interview with L'Oreal in the skincare lab. And that's how I met Gloria because our cubicles were right next to each other. Amazing. And were you guys in New Jersey or were you? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I also started my career at L'Oreal on lipstick, <laughs> but I was a comparative religion major undergrad. So not a science major, wow. but ended up, I know, wonky. Everyone's like, what are you going to do with that? I'm like, I don't know, maybe <laughs> no, the marketing. So recently we've, um, we were invited to a few like college clubs to, to speak about career choices. And like, we totally, we can totally relate to like sitting on the other side, like really antsy about what's to come. Yeah. And like, I'm like, I know it's hard to hear it. I heard it all the time when I was in school. It wasn't super comforting, but just know that it's okay. If your major isn't directly related with what you go into, keep an open mind. Like, yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. Such good advice. My kids are about to, my daughter's a senior, and I keep telling her, don't worry about what you major in. Just enjoy it, learn, have fun. Mm -hmm. You can yeah. do anything. You know, you, can, yeah. you can't probably go into chemical engineering if you do philosophy, but you can do a lot of other things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm so gl glad you guys ended up in beauty because I feel like, you know, there aren't a lot of, before you guys, there aren't a lot of chemists that really talk about product and ingredients and formulation. And you've brought a level of knowledge that I think is really cool and needed. You know, dermatologists are awesome. We talk to a lot of derms on the program and they know skin issues and skin concerns. And some of them increasingly know ingredients, but they don't know ingredients like the chemists. And so it's, it's cool. It's really helpful to me. So we want to talk about acne, um, one of the many topics that I'd love to talk to you guys about. And <clears throat> I learned a lot about acne from you. So tell us a little bit about what is it? And um, what is this whole situation with P acne becoming C acne? And, mm -hmm. and why do we kind of have it wrong when it comes to tackling acne? Yeah, so acne is a chronic skin disease. It is something that people will can deal with. It's not just a teenage situation. People up until their 40s can still deal with acne and it's incredibly complex. And um, yes, it was formerly known as P. acnes, Propionum bacterium acnes, um, but then got a name change uh, because they realized that it was much too broad. Um, ultimately, in order to just really focus on the bacteria that was dealing with acne vulgaris, like they realized they needed to specialize it because if you looked at actually the realm of P. acnes that also involved like certain bacteria that were very common in like fermentation process, it just like really didn't apply. So just kind of like made it a little more granular and more like a focus. Um, so that was the reason for the name change. And in terms of why it feels like we've gotten it wrong is more that there was just so much focus on this idea of a bacne, a bacteria, bacne, sorry, bacteria overgrowth, mm. um, to the point that when I think about dealing with acne and in my teenage years, it was just focusing on 
ridding yourself of bacteria murdering yeah. everything living on your face <laughs> <laughs> exercising just completing an exorcism on your skin which is so so bad for your skin and it's why like antibiotics have just been around for as long as they have like it was such a huge focus and now we see that not only is it complex we knew that it was a hormone driven issue but they know that there's different and also important factors that are not being considered mm. in the treatment of acne. So that's why acne deserves a new strategy <laughs> for sure. A new strategy. <laughs> what are some of those factors that are contributing that we're not treating or maybe not always able to treat? Yeah, so um, C acne is, is one of the factors, but other things are change in sebum production. They have seen that excess oil production does lead and correlates to acne growth acne lesions. There's also something called hyperkeratinization, which is this cell proliferation in the pores that can deal, that can basically create a really nice situation for acne overgrowth and is what leads to a clogged pore. And then also this inflammation um, that really can just drive your comedones from something that might be a little bit more tame to something that is painful, can be cystic, you know, um, and can really just uh let's say complicate your you know breakout situation so those would be the four yeah. uh, main points to look at and i think um inflammatory response is definitely one that's like yeah. gone a lot better light in recent years yeah. that in combined with like a more gentle approach to um the bacteria problem because as victoria mentioned you know we're honing um more of the specific strain that may be causing acne and there's a lot more talks about microbiome now now it's yes. not about zapping every living organism people are starting to understand that like we need you need to upregulate the good you know down the bad it's a little bit more nuanced than that and yeah. such an important point because c acnes are not necessarily bad for your mm -hmm. skin they're not inherently bad it's just an overgrowth it's an imbalance of bacteria because you know happy skin has happy um ha has like a happy diversity of all these, you know, microbes that are on your face. Mm. And then it's just o overgrowth that contributes to the acne lesion. And it's interesting. It seems like more and more we're starting to understand that a lot of skin issues are related to just a dysbiosis of the good, bad bacteria, you know, balance on the skin. I mean, the fungal acne. And so it's interesting that we're finally getting there and there's starting to be new approaches. So when you guys are formulating an acne product, <clears throat> what are the things that you're trying to accomplish? Like what are the modes of action that you think, okay, we need to do this. We need to exfoliate. We need to reduce sebum. Like what are the things that you think about tackling? I think anyone that deals with acne knows mm -hmm. there's never going to be a single ingredient that will solve your acne situation. It's just not how that works. Um, if you look at just even in the retinoids family, that's probably one of the most well-studied um, categories for tackling acne. You'll see that um, only Accutane is really one that can address like these four focus points that we just discussed. Um, so you're definitely going to need a team and mm -hmm. everyone's combination is very different. So for us, it's really more. Um, and on top of that, as formulators, we know that not all these actives are going to like playing together. Um, so, or sit in the same formula together. So with that, you know, we try to say, you know, it's like, 
the approach is really like, what is your main, I know we're going to get into this later, but like, what is your main, um, I would say acne fighter, mm. whether it's retinoids, adapalene, uh, you're using a prescribed azelaic acid, you know, treatment, that's all good and dandy. And then you're, you're going to want to build around that, you know, in terms of targeting inflammation and also I, like treating acne is one part, but it's also managing your routine while using these treatments, you know, because healthy skin is important to, you know, being able to treat, I guess, like accommodate, you know, being on these treatments along with sunscreen, you know, so it's, it's almost like this delicate juggling act you have to do in your skincare routine. So one single formula would be hard for us to say, but I would say yeah. like in terms of skin routine, there's definitely a strategy for sure. For our online, oh, sorry, I was just going to add, like, for our online, we don't have, like, a, a one product that's, like, uses these um, in yeah. OTC ingredients. But for us, like, we definitely, like, pummel our products filled with soothers just to kind of, yeah. like, let that be the buddy to go along yeah. with your really aggressive actives. Especially now that people are getting more well-versed in ingredients, they're starting to realize that, hey, one cell acid product is really not going to cut it. Yeah. But on the flip side, people are getting a little brave with what they're layering. So you see, like... It does take a cocktail um, cocktail of actives and products, but sometimes people are like, okay, I'm on trend. No, I'm going to jump on BPO, cell acid, I'm gonna, and I'm going to take antibiotics. And for us, it's like giving them enough soothers to help them write this out. <laughs> yeah. I love that because the skin barrier in the end of the day is getting sort of overwhelmed with the chemical warfare <laughs> that's going on to treat the acne and then um, having your skin sort of have that support is so important. So when you talk about the heavy hitters in your book, you talk and you touched on them, Victoria, the the retinoids, the sal acid, benzoyl peroxide, azelaic. I actually don't know if you included benzoyl peroxide, but talk about what the heavy hitters are actually doing and and how you might choose one over the other or or do you know mm. until you try it. <laughs> yeah. That's that's really tough um, to say how to choose one over the other. Um, because at the end of the day, it's also like, what are you, your skin tolerance, you know? Um, so for us, um, when we think of heavy hitters, we are thinking the ones that are actively trying to reduce the amount of lesions. How you really want to look at acne treatment is there's never going to be a situation where you apply it and your skin is just clear. Mm -hmm. um, it takes cycles of skin turnover to see improvement. And every skin cycle turnover, you want to see a reduction of lesions. Like mm -hmm. every every period, you'll see you're still going to break out, but hopefully that breakout is starting to you'll is starting to look better, clearer, you know. So with that, that would be like our your focus point and goal with these heavy hitters is these are the ones that are really actively trying to reduce your breakouts. And so that would be things like the retinoids, mainly tretinoin here, um, and then adapalene. Those are the two main ones. There's also a lot of prescribed retinoids um, that we won't cover just because that's really a conversation to have with your derm. And then BPO is the one that's like tried and true. It's like been around for so many years, but many it's... people have pillowcases as memorabilia of their BPO. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yep. Exactly. And oh, it yes. has been shown to work. Um, mm -hmm. But again, it's also another one that does come with some irritation and some side effects and some permanently damaged clothing. So um, that's those would probably be your main areas that you look at as heavy hitters. Yeah. And I 
I think um, cell acid yeah. is a lot of people's like entryway to yeah. acne treating actors because it's in everything. It's um, it's fine, but it is a very narrow scope as far yeah. as um, acne uh, targeting treatment is. It's um, it targets the hyperkeratinization problem. It's exfoliator, and obviously you'll hear about it talked a lot about as a something that will help cleanse out your pores because it's an exfoliator. But it is just one aspect of treating acne, and I think a lot of people end up getting disappointed because they're those like. BP, uh, those cell acid targeted treatment that claim that oh my god you're gonna wake up to clear skin or this is going to like zap all your acnes or whatever lingo they use but yeah cell acid is great as a supplement but definitely too narrow to really solve long-term problems yeah so you need you need a more holistic approach you need something other than just cell acid in a product yeah, we would basically say we wouldn't put cell acid in the heavy hitters category compared to like mm -hmm. BPO and adapalene and tretinoin. Yeah. Those are, yeah. And azelaic. I think you had azelaic in there as well. We did, but <laughs> Gloria, can you share our frustrations with azelaic? Azelaic acid <laughs> is one of those um, ingredients that has a lot, of, a lot of great data on it. It is a very high use level ingredient. Most data shows hyperpigmentation and anti-acne properties at 20%. It's very hard to come by. At that level, um, you often need a prescription, and those formulas are rare, and part of the reason is it is a garbage ingredient for chemists to work with. Yeah. You talk about ingredients like niacinamide, deserved a good rep, and part of the reason why it's everywhere is, you know, like anyone can formulate with niacinamide. It's very easy to work with. It's like a chemist's best friend. Azelaic acid is that, like, that molecule that just sits there and be like, I don't think I don't think so. I am not gonna do what you want to do. It doesn't not solubilize today. Not, <laughs> not in water, not in alcohol, not in oil. I'm just gonna choke you. So that's why you yes. get formula that's a little pasty, a little gunky. And you can get it to be like an okay cream, but it, in a way like that texture almost goes against what like people with acne are looking for because it's thick, it's kind of gross. Yeah. And if you are working with a slightly less experienced formulator, it's going to be a little gritty even. Yeah. It's just, it's a hot mess to work with. Yeah. Well, we just formulated a couple SKUs with it and I would agree <gasps> it was tough it was really yeah. tough yeah. and we went multiple multiple rounds with the chemist oh that's so exciting yeah More he athlete. nailed it he nailed it but it was yeah it was gritty it was it was clunky yeah, it was also yeah. hard yeah. to stabilize all the things you're saying mm -hmm. but we got there in the end we got there in the end with a spot treatment with 10 percent azelaic and two percent bha and two percent niacinamide and so it's a nice but it was not easy. So you, yeah, I hear you. I hear you completely. Now, in terms of then the next level down, you guys talk about sort of the secondary ingredients that you want to think mm -hmm. about when you're looking at acne topicals. Talk a bit yeah, about that. Yeah, so secondary is really, we think of as your exfoliants. Mm -hmm. um, so just like we said about sal acid, um, glycolic acid, and in fact, gluconolactone is the one that actually has been tested in comparison with BPO. So um, we would say that um, these are great just to keep cell toner moving. Um, it's actually a good component to have in your routine, irregardless of having acne or not. But there is like some data on there and like it's help and improvement in acne breakouts. Um, and I, I think the one thing that has been interesting for us is 
every year we talk about exfoliants mm -hmm. we do an annual update we also refresh like our knowledge of what's going on in the research space and this year i think what we realize is we've come to this conclusion even though it's more of a theory that mandelic acid is this weird one mm -hmm. that people associate with acne mm -hmm. um partially because like it has this property where it can be slightly lipid soluble Mm -hmm. but it's like structural cousins to cell acid exactly looking. And, mm -hmm. and so so if you do a little research you'll realize the data is like kind of mysterious mm -hmm. um in terms of how it kind of got its claim to fame but uh we recently discovered um someone that did a comparison study of mandelic versus glycolic 10 percent mandelic 10 percent glycolic and found that even 10% glycolic acid, they still performed on par, and it was fine, but glycolic acid did better um, in treating acne breakouts. So we find that some people, they gravitate towards different things based on what they heard. In theory, it all makes sense, but then also um, we just want to say, like, don't count count out these other AHAs that may not get talked about in the same realm. Yeah, and we, we really like Mandelic for um for someone with like say inflammatory lesions too, because it is a gentler alternative. Yes, exactly. Um but I think a lot of times if you go on the interrupts and you look at content creators like us and other professionals out there, sometimes like it's tempting to look at simple charts that's like this acid is for this skin concern. That is for that. Like kind of like easier to organize. Yeah, to get it. make a very simple statement like that. But what we find is like, hey, like as far when uh, chemical exfoli where chemical exfoliants are concerned, glycolic is a gold standard all around. And let's say if you have a very angry lesion and you're not tolerating a wall, we're not saying go for it. But at the same time, like in the long term, it's still the gold standard. Don't count it out just because you're seeing a chart that. You know, yeah. there isn't a check mark next to glycolic on acne. Yeah. It's still helping. And like, um, even if, I don't know, just like the act of chemical, effectively chemical exfoliation is uh, is the, is the what you're trying goal, to do. Yes. Right? Yeah. Well, and you guys, raise, oh, sorry. you guys raise a good point because you talk about the research. And I think that's where there's a lot of, and you talk about this a lot on your podcast, there's a lot of inconsistent information out there about skincare. There's a lot of even inconsistencies in research, but... Talk about how important is data to you guys. I mean, do you do you care about the data? Do you care that there's research? How, how important is that? So it's everything. It's everything excites <laughs> us um, on what we talk about, how we formulate. But we'll say like we're all in a field where data is a little sparse, and, and some can sometimes seem skewed. Yeah, absolutely. And like um, sometimes we'll kind of talk trash about ingredient on podcasts and one thing well we'll have a follower that send us a paper saying hey like have you guys seen this like this ingredient seems to be this paper seems to show this ingredient a better light than the way you guys talked about it <laughs> but the thing with data in this field is like we sometimes it takes us so long to put together an episode because you have to read the whole paper because you might see um a sexy headline with a sexy conclusion that's like this ingredient is super helpful for like whatever yeah. and then when you look at the actual data and actual methodology and you're like like i don't you're like how many times did they use it a day yeah how, how did they pair it like mm. it's used with this formula you know so the protocol can make a huge difference yeah yeah so um i yeah i think that's just to i guess like share how we approach data it's like 
taking a conclusion from an abstract is not enough you yeah. know it's similar to like taking a news headline it's like mm. you gotta read into it to really understand what what is happening here yeah yeah so. that's why in the in the book in the active section we talked about the big four which includes retinoids ahas you know um and niacinamide these ingredients that are proven over and over again they're the the feel i we understand that from a marketing angle people are always chasing the new thing right you want that new like in mysterious ingredient that's going to be like the same new savior genius um hero ingredient but with where science goes you want the test the tried and true the one that's been tested by different groups of people different um companies different universities that's been proven to work over and over again yeah. Just back to acids for a minute. Um, mm -hmm. What is your perspective on certain acids with melanated skins? Um, you read a lot about, you know, certain acids being a concern. I think glycolic is often called out as a concern if you have pigmented skin. So talk a little bit about, about that. So generally speaking, um, what you buy at a cosmetic store shouldn't be of much concern. The reason why people with darker skin type um, tend to struggle with these, um, with chemical exfoliants such as especially glycolic acid is they're more prone to PAH, which is post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. Um, but the store levels shouldn't be aggressive enough to cause that. And, and the reality is um, for any, any skin type and any skin color range, you should approach um, chemical exfoliant with a level of respect. <laughs> if you never <laughs> use it, probably don't jump in with the 30%. Yeah. And we call that in the book too, like you can buy wart removers and 70% mm -hmm. glycolic on Amazon. Don't do that. Like stick with bigger brands, yeah. reputable sources, um, stick with five to 10% and kind of like suss your skin out. At that level, at a, at a um, store-made product where the pH is around 3, 3.5, it should be well-tolerated by all skin type. If you inc uh, experience any itching, you know, move down a level, change out the molecule, and just keep an eye out on it, proceed with caution. Where you should really be concerned is, let's say you go into office for a more aggressive chemical peel. Just to give context of the level difference, it starts at like, 30% at the office level yeah. and we're talking pH of one, you know, it's drastically different and you should be concerned if your provider, if you, if you have more melanated skin, you should be concerned if your provider looks at you go, let's go for a 50% glycolic peel. You know, the, yeah. these are um, things that not everyone who is melanated can't tolerate glycolic, right. but it should be watched very carefully. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. Good clarification. So, Anything, as you said, that you would buy from a reputable brand is probably not going to cause it's a problem. Probably, yeah. yeah. It's like okay. anyone else, you know, you it, it could cause irritation. Don't jump in head first. Kind of listen to your skin and be a little patient. So. And I think the other thing is just keep tabs on your concentration. Yes. You know, that, that's the best way to approach it. Mm. Um, this is probably when we first started, we were like all about percentages. <sighs> and now we've seen that percentages <sighs> have just... Uh, I don't know. They uh, just bastardized this whole 
initiative, right? So the goal is just really keep tabs on the molecule you're using and the percentage and then just try slow and low and build your way up. Mm -hmm. You know, no need to go balls to the wall immediately. <laughs> well, and percentages, not to deviate down that road, but are so tricky because we do yeah. claim percentages, but sometimes an active level is like 0.2. You know, that could be an active level of a certain ingredient. And so someone looks at it and they're like, point two. So it's kind of misleading if you don't actually know what the active level is and what the yes. appropriate amount is. Exactly. And we find it so hard to talk about because in the beginning we do, when we first started, we see a lot of brands um, that from a chemist perspective, we can already tell that, okay, this is probably not at a good level. Just like, yeah. into the batch type a little of level. sprinkle little fairy <laughs> dust fairy dusting actors and now as you mentioned like people think higher is better and who can blame them right like you don't want your products to be you know you hear slogans that's like our products are so high like other competitor products use 98 percent water like shame on them and that's not <laughs> It's not right. Yeah. Like, you know, ingredients like peptides work as low as in the PPM range. And yeah. you have retinoids, uh, retinol in particular, 0.1 to 1%. 1% is incredibly high already. Yeah. But then you have brands that's like over claiming that percentage. It's misleading and so confusing. it's super, super. Yeah. So we're very totally sad by confusing. that. And I, I was going to say just like um, kind of moving on to another ingredient that happens to be popular in, in acne is niacinamide. Yeah. I think that's like... Well, that's one where they've gone up to 20% and yeah. Dr. Shaw was on and he's like, all you need is two to five. You don't need more than two to five. Yes. So yeah, talk a little bit about niacinamide and how great it is, but also what is <laughs> the right level <laughs> to do yeah. the work. Yep. Yeah. So <clears throat> niacinamide, we dedicate a whole chapter to in the book um, because it is a tried and true ingredient. Yeah. And it's been tested in a lot of different and interesting angles. It's one of the very few ingredients out there that has clinical data that show that it kind of it regulates sebum production and um, but at the same time, it doesn't dry out your skin because yeah. it actually moisturizes your skin in the long run. Yeah, and I was going to add like, the one thing that most people they hear about like oil control and like um kind of like geared towards oily skin um they kind of correlate to oil reduction but that claim is actually really hard to accomplish yes. and there's very few ingredients out there that actually have been proven to reduce oily to reduce oil um, sebum production mm -hmm. and so that's why we think niacinamide is very special in this case because it does have that kind of data behind it um, not so much in terms of treating acne lesions you know but in terms of sebum regulation that's also very interesting to have yeah, yeah. niacinamide also has great data on hyperpigmentation yeah. and to get a little nerdy it works in a very different way than other hyperpigmentation active ingredients you hear about. So we kind of think about it as a jack of all trades. It pairs well with almost everything, you know. Oh, and there's a famed study that including niacinamide in a formula actually reduces irritation you might experience from retinol. Yeah. All great and dandy. All the studies are done pretty much between two to five percent. Yeah. So 10% was popularized by the ordinary. Yeah. And we're already like, all right, your skin's tolerant and cool, yeah. you know. Now everyone thinks 10% is the standard. Then other brands have to be exactly. like, well, we have 15. Well, we have 20. And then just like, just stop it. Based yeah. on just solubility from like a chemist perspective, 
you can have a solution that's in my at like 50% if you want to, but what does that really do, you know? Yeah. It's just, there is such thing as too much of a good thing. Yeah, and I think it's also something we try to remind people is like, mm -hmm. people think that, oh, if it's great at 5%, imagine what I can get at 10%. Yes. Your skin doesn't work like that. Mm -hmm. It can only process so much, you mm -hmm. know? And for me as someone in, you know, who has like a acne prone routine, Spending one step on just 10% niacinamide is not worth it to me. And as mm. a chemist, I look at that and being like, that's a waste of space because you're not even taking advantage of a niacinamide's best property is that it get along, it gets along with everything. Mm -hmm. So we always recommend, you know, try to get it in a moisturizer. If it's in a serum with some other actives, wonderful. That's it. That's all you need to walk away from the niacinamide train and let's move on to other actives that we need to target acne. I think yeah. that's great advice. We've been using a complex, you guys are probably familiar with it, that combines a 2% sal acid with a 2% niacinamide. And, um, you know, our chemist loves it because he says it mitigates some of the irritation that can come from the sal acid and helps to combat some of the dryness. So that makes sense. But I love this topic because we're, you know, we're also trying to educate that more is not better, especially if you're someone with sensitive skin or skin issues. Sometimes that is not the best thing. So let's talk a little bit. One thing that I loved on your podcast and in your book was you talked, well, I think more on the podcast, you talked about how cleansing can be a viable treatment step for acne. And then I think you said the two sort of acne go-tos are cleanser and spot and everything else can be more sort of skin supportive. But let's talk about how can a cleanser actually do any work when you're rinsing it off? Yeah. So um, we, and it's funny, just some added context. We actually like to tell people like, do not spend money on your cleanser. You know, like do not buy an anti-aging cleanser because a lot of those actives, they need to be a leave-on treatment that's used, you know, a lot of times are often tested twice a day use. Um, mm. So it kind of goes against like one of our um, founding principles. And, but, you know, with um, specifically with sal acid, um, they've found that in a cleanser mode, um, I guess a cleanser format, it has been found to be helpful. And we think that deserves merit because in acne routine, what happens is you're usually trying to pair a lot of treatments together and layer. And sometimes you cannot manage doing a 2% toner versus, you know, and then you've got to use other treatments. Sometimes that layering just doesn't work. And so um, we, tell, we tell people that, you know, based on the data, it does show that, you know, even with this almost like temporary event, of mm. washing your face with this active, it has been pro uh, shown to be helpful. So that's really awesome because it kind of just provides one other step that um, they can use for a treatment because usually acne routines are super crowded. <laughs> and also at that, I think, um, and you brought up a good point that sometimes like, I feel like cell acid is that weird active where for some people they're like, well, cell acid does nothing for me. But for others who are a little bit more sensitive or those that have a very loaded routine, it can be very, very drying. It can be, it can be the ingredient that causes you to shed. So by keeping it in the cleanser step, it's also just like, you know, you add a little bit of oomph to your routine without 
really tipping it over, tipping it to that irritation row. Yeah. yeah. People always think like you're supposed to aim for 2% sal acid. Yeah. Um, and yes, in, in data, you would see that it's always tested at 2% because it's the only thing they're using in the routine. But when you have this combination of other actives, 2% can be a lot, you know? And so again, like we mentioned with all chemical exfoliants, it's like, you don't have to hit 2%. You know, if you can get it in a cleanser mode or if you find it in 1%, give it a try. You know, you might see that your skin's a lot happier with that concentration. And do you find the acne person is buying everything in their regimen is active? Because that's also a concern, and I think you guys have talked about it, is that every single product that you use doesn't have to have BHA in it or and so peroxide in it because that's too much. But talk a little bit about like, what is the best way to deliver the actives, but also buffer and protect the skin and sort of the in-between steps? So I can speak from personal. <laughs> I have bought everything to be acne, you know, acne uh, minded, I guess. Um, Sorry, do you have a least favorite product? Uh, Ooh, <laughs> but it still exists. Oh, okay, never mind. Sorry, we're going to keep talking. I would say like any sort of rapid spot, 10% BPO mm. has been like the worst for me just because it's too much for my skin. I am actually already using other treatments. So it just, it really does feel like I'm frying my face, you know, so. So, but for, uh, sorry, so acne treatments, yeah. So um, I would say that in terms of building an acne routine, um, the strategy is, um, again, I mentioned about like finding your main treatment, whatever that is, if that make that the spotlight of your routine, build everything else around it after you've acclimated the main guy, right? That, that would be the easiest way to like, um, and probably it, for, for an acne person, I used to have used to seeing lesions just like heal in like five days right They're they probably are used to kind of that much quicker timeline of seeing results it feels slow but it's a much you're you're in it for the long run it's a much smarter game because then once you start hitting irritation tightness stinging anything like that then you have to dial it back again and figure and get skin back to an okay place to start onboarding again all your treatments so um we would say yes it's really hard because in if you look at skincare and shop for skincare, everything's like, oh, helps with oily skin, oil reduction, you need your acids, you need, you know, on top of your acne meds. So um, I think it's too easy to build a completely acne-based routine, but that's really not, it just doesn't really capture everything that you would need, right? Because you still need your sunscreen. You still need a solid moisturizer. You need all those soothing actives. So um, just don't forget those other players that are also helping. Yeah. And I was also going to say, like, keep one type of active ingredient per skew. Um, as you kind of mentioned, Amy, that sometimes people have yeah. a cell acid cleanser with a yeah. cell acid toner Too with easy. a cell acid spot treat with a cell acid cream. You know, like, you're not diversifying your strategy. Um, again, we're not saying like jump into laying 18 different actives at the same time, yeah. but um, the other way around is also a very common mistake is you can buy a whole line of products, whole range of things that has one type of active. So you're completely overwhelming your skin with yeah. one type while neglecting the other aspects of acne. Yeah. yeah. 
Now, Victoria, do you find that you've like locked in a routine and that's it? Or do you, are you still searching? (laughs) Are you still like on the hunt for the perfect acne regimen? Uh, Yeah, definitely. I have not locked it in. Um, Also because our job requires us to try all sorts of products. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, um, we live a very kind of, uh, let's say, just not very, uh, we, we were traveling for a long time. So just the lifestyle wasn't really conducive to like setting up for a good regimen, consistent mm. regimen. Um, but I will say that um, I definitely am like a champion for OTC Adapalene. I'm so glad they made that an OTC ingredient. It has a lot of really exciting data on it. And it's really cool. Um, we talk about this in our podcast and our blog, but pairing it with BPO is much better. I like that combo actually better than Trentinoin and BPO, which was kind of the go-to pairing before. Um, it actually has shown synergistic data being used together, um, even used at 0.1%, which is the OTC level, um, and, pa- and pairing with 2.5% BPO that has been to shown to be better than using like a 0.025 Trentinoin. It's got a lot of really cool, just exciting data to hear as a combination. Um, And so, and you don't have to worry too much about um, before there was like that controversy with Tretino and BPO pairing and that it could basically deactivate BPO. Um, That's still like to be decided. There's papers that say yes, some say no, but you don't have to worry about that as much. Mm. Um, And I do like it. I, I use Adapalene currently, and I just think it is a, a very gentle uh, retinoid to try for anyone who's like looking for, uh, or just haven't really given it a shot yet. Yeah, so that would be like my go-to I use at night. Okay, so some questions from our from our listeners, and you know I, what I love about you guys as well is that you kind of say this is our lane. We're chemists. We know a lot about ingredients and we know a lot about skin and how these ingredients interact with skin, but there's always a point at which, and some of these questions I think will lead you to that, you say, talk to a derm. What is sort of your your thinking on that with respect to acne? Like when do you think, and you talked about it in your book, I think it was really clear, like when does someone really need to consult a derm and leave the OTC solutions behind and look for something a little bit more rigorous? Yeah, so we typically say it's like if you've been at it long enough and you're just frustrated or you're just lost, um, that's a good sign. Another one is usually when it starts to get painful when you are dealing with cystic acne. Um, Topicals really can only do so much, you know. Um, You do have to manage expectations a little bit (laughs) with your skincare. uh, they work, but then there are um, situations that are a lot more complex, and derms can give you a much more tailored approach. So yeah, and then definitely anything that uh, if you're dealing with acne and you're pregnant, that's immediately please go see a derm. Yeah, there's so many <laughs> ingredients in the acne realm that's like wee tad sketchy during that time. Yeah. And- it's like always you want to take a conservative approach, yeah. and so a lot of people are like. Now it's better to just have your doctors work with you on that. Yeah. Another and another aspect of that is um, 
doctors can help. It's like having an accountability buddy on your journey because you're not going to go to one dermatologist visit and be done either. You know, they're going to have to assess how you respond to, say, the first round of prescriptions and kind of follow you through on journey. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah, and you're just not going to be able to self-diagnose yourself every month to say, this is okay, I'm doing good, let's keep going, or let's bump up that bag, you know, that's what a derm is for. Yeah. And definitely, like, whatever routine you have, <clears throat> bring it into your derm. Have them, like, have a very full picture of to, as to, like, what you've been using, your mm -hmm. history. And we always say it's kind of a red flag if they don't really care about that because it's, um, that history is important, you know, um, and then we also like to say if you have self-diagnosed yourself with fungal acne, definitely go see a derm because <laughs> you should not be self-diagnosing yourself. Um, and if it really is fungal acne, really the derm will be the only one to help you with that situation. Yeah. It's a very, very different set of needs in that instance. Well, and you guys talked a lot about on your podcast too, well, you do in general, not just about acne, about sort of skincare forensics and figuring out what the right regimen is for you and the right levels. And with acne, I'm sure that's even more acute and it's going to take time and trial and error and a derm can help you on that forensic journey if you give them the information about what you've been trying and what hasn't worked or what you haven't liked. Okay. So, um, one of the first questions, which is, which you touched on a little, is what is the ideal routine for someone who wants to get rid of acne scars, but also treat active acne at the same time? Yeah, so it's, okay. I would say that there's there's not a lot of data that really um, looks at those two things, um, but, but I've already talked about this already and raved about it, but um, there is one study, a long-term study of 0.3% adapalene and BPO. I forget the concentration of it. They actually looked at the improvement of acne as it healed over time and found that it did help in terms of its healing and potential for scarring. So just, and this was a recent paper. So seeing that is very exciting. Ultimately, and um, if you are looking for to kind of help with scars, that usually involves an in-office procedure. Um, so again, it's probably better for a derm to have that conversation. And they will also know when it's like time to almost like expand out of actively treating into uh, managing and healing. Um, they're the best ones to make that judgment call. And I want to add that um, it's going to be tough, but don't forgo the sunscreen. sunscreen oh my gosh, yes. Tend to yes. make the healing process <laughs> so much better. Um, yeah, the sun just exacerbates everything, yeah. which includes any sort of potential for, you know, like scarring and that appearance thereof. Like if there's any sort of pigmentation that come in because of the sun, it's going to be very tough. Yeah. You guys touched on this. What regimen do you recommend for pregnancy and postpartum? I know just derm. we work with derm goes straight derm your derm. OB. yeah yeah there's like i mean with pregnancy this is definitely like um out of our realm and also you know it's time for a more conservative approach it's good to have it's good to have your ob and or your derm vet your vet your whole routine yeah. and also like we just want to remind us like when you're pregnant this is a time there there's no reason to like be aggressive like there like I feel like sometimes with um more science-based communication people are like the data doesn't say you can't use it but then when you're pregnant you're like there's no reason to to, to not have to listen to any of that you know like you're in a very delicate time of your life and you know we 
again, as chemists, we're like, y'all should not be listening to us. We are not doctors. We are the formulator. Mm. <laughs> yeah. No, I love that. I love that you, um, that you give that advice. I think that's <clears throat> important. Important. We, we do the same, you know, we're, we're a skincare company. We're not doctors and it's important that you get the advice from lots of different people. Are clogged pores considered acne? I, yeah, I really like this question because yes, they are any, there are many types of comedones. Blackheads are acne. I like this question because it makes me feel like everyone is going through what I've gone through. <laughs> and acne Everyone has not, acne. Yeah. And everyone, it, it just shouldn't be as taboo. And I feel like it's so good to see it not be as taboo as it once was when it can be just so like just really impactful as a teenager or just going through high school. Um, but now like even seeing like these decorated zit stickers and mm, those things that just cute. make it fun. I just love everything about like people's mentality going into acne now. So it's amazing. I have a 16 and 17 year old and they go to school with my daughter goes to school with a little, you know, and she loves to search for the shapes and my son I took him to my dermatologist in New York because it's very hard to get in to see a derm in Canada and she prescribed a you know a prescription topical and he's like I, I don't do I need that I don't care so what I have acne who cares so I think you know it's nice to see that in the teen demographic because I was not like that when I was a teen I was like oh you know get it off figure it out but it's yeah it's a totally different zeitgeist that they're living in with respect to skin positivity. It's great. Mm -hmm. And what is better to use with tretinoin, sal acid or benzoyl peroxide? Again, I would say it's BPO. Um, mm -hmm. If you're looking to ag actively target acne, um, sal acid again, because it's secondary, um, there's actual data. There's actually a, a few, quite a few papers that test BPO and tretinoin together. So that okay. would be my go-to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, listen, guys, I just absolutely loved having you on. Would love to have you back to talk about all of the other topics in your book. Yeah, but um, <laughs> it's so great to have two chemists, um, especially female chemists, in beauty talking real science. And, you know, you do it in a way on your podcast that is dense and legit, but is also understandable. So thank you very much. You inform a lot of my product development. <laughs> so I appreciate it. I really appreciate having you guys on today. Thanks yeah, thanks for having us. us. Yeah, this was fun. You can catch the Chemist Confessions podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to check out the Chemist Confessions blog at chemistconfessions.com. Wow, I learned a lot from them. I'm sure you did too. I want to thank Gloria and Victoria for nerding out with me and for sharing their acne expertise and insights. Here are three things that really stood out for me in our conversation. One, one of the most important new insights in the science of acne topicals is a greater understanding of how the balance of bacteria on the skin's surface, aka skin's microbiome, contributes to our understanding and treatment of acne. Specifically, the imbalance of good bacteria versus bad bacteria, or dysbiosis. As Victoria said, happy skin has a happy diversity of microbes on your face. 
So new skincare science is now looking at how to keep the microbiome balanced versus what Gloria calls murdering every living thing on your face. Second, there is no one panacea ingredient or single hero product for acne. Salicylic acid plays a role, niacinamide, retinol, azelaic acid, each has a role to play at treating different symptoms or skin dynamics. Treating acne requires a holistic approach to tackle a multitude of factors from sebum overproduction to bacterial or fungal overgrowth to inflammation and even underlying skin barrier health. Success lies in using multiple purposeful ingredients within a regimen and also not overdoing it on one type of active. Lastly, treating acne isn't a one and done scenario. It takes multiple cycles of skin cell turnover to begin to get it under control. It requires a bit of patience and consistency. Breaking the acne cycle requires figuring out the regimen that works for you over time and adapting as you observe changes in your skin. So don't be frustrated if skin isn't clear overnight. Stick with the regimen that gives you the best results and be patient and kind with your skin. Thank you for listening to this third episode of the second season of Total Skin Nerds. We'd love to hear from you and would be so grateful if you could take a moment to leave a review. And please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Total Skin Nerds is produced by Rob Corso, Casey Kahn, and Howie Kahn for Freetime Media. Our theme music is by John Palmer. Special thanks to Lauren Fonda, Amanda Knappman, Megan Collins, and Carmine Montalto. And I'm your host, Amy Gordonier. Till next time, skin nerds. Nerds! Total Skin Nerds is a podcast created to educate. It is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical advice. If you are looking for help with a skin concern, we would encourage you to seek the advice of a board-certified dermatologist, functional medical practitioner, or other qualified healthcare provider. You can find a registry of board-certified dermatologists in the U.S. at find-a-derm.aad.org and in Canada at dermatology.ca. For a registry of qualified functional medical practitioners, you can visit ifm.org. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. We hope that you enjoy listening to Total Skin Nerds as much as we enjoy making it.